0: Now, I want to turn to Matthew, um, chapter 5, to the Sermon on the Mount. And um, I'm going to read selections of it till we reach the Lord's Prayer, which is the uh, verses I will focus in on. Um, and I'll read a few verses after it. Well, I'll have the reading first, and then, yeah? So, chapter 5, and uh, verse four, uh, 14 first, you are the light of the world, a city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and gives it and it gives its light to all, all the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to to your Father who is in heaven. Uh, Also, um, if we could uh, just go towards um, the end of uh, chapter 5, verse 48. In fact, no, we'll read from verse 43. You've heard it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Therefore you must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Chapter 6, verse 1, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. And uh, he goes on in that passage to talk about the fact that uh, when you give um, to the poor, uh, he says, uh, verse 3, When you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And then we have the Lord's Prayer. Um, And uh, you'll see that in verse uh, 9, Jesus told his disciples to pray using this model. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. May your name be holy, sanctified, set apart as special. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we have also forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And there are a number of other references to the Father in heaven or the heavenly Father. Um, But uh, I just want to um, finish on uh, verse uh, 31. Therefore do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added to you. Okay, great. Well, if the Sunday school can go out now. And now let's pray as we look into God's word. Father in heaven, we thank you that you sent your Son into this world firstly, Lord, to teach us the truth about you. And we thank you, Lord, that He then exemplified that truth in His wonderful ministry of mercy to the sick and to the sinners, to the poor and the needy. And then we thank you, Father, that, uh, Lord, He He exemplified that wonderful love by going to the cross and suffering in our place, for which we thank you this morning. And we pray, Lord, that you may grant that as we look into the words of your son, and we think about uh, the word of God in the Bible, that we pray your Holy Spirit will really help us to apply these things to our own hearts, and to rejoice in you, be thankful, and yield ourselves to you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Now you'll see that I've uh, I've named this uh, talk relating to God the Heavenly Father. Colon dash intimacy, respect, and obedience. Which I think uh, already you will have detected those things in those verses I've already read from Matthew. Um, The first thing I want to notice is this: is that Jesus talked about His Father in heaven. On on dozens of occasions, over 60 times, Jesus talks about his Father. And also, especially in the Sermon on the Mount, which is, if you like, uh, the handbook for what the Christian life is is really about, um, he uses this expression, the Heavenly Father or Father in Heaven, on numerous occasions. And uh, there are other occasions, too, At you, your leisure can read through the whole of the psalm on the mountain and see if you spot the other ones. Now, you know, what, why is there um, an importance in this term for God, your Father in heaven? Well, let's firstly think about the names we use for God himself. For instance, when we talk about God the creator, that's kind of an abstract thing. It's, kind of, it's an abstract descriptive noun. And if someone only talks about God the creator, he doesn't really necessarily end up with the God of the Bible. For instance, Isaac Newton, who was a deist and uh, who um, didn't believe that that Jesus was uh, the the son of God, equal with God, he said this, the whole systems of planet and universe can only function under the dominion and counsel of a super-intelligent being, God. But actually... That references to something, yeah, God is a super intelligent being. He is the creator. And it's good to quote Isaac Newton as a scientist who came to believe in that fact, that there is a creator. But, of course, Jesus and the Bible goes much further than saying he's just the creator. God is personal and has a personal name. Uh, You needn't look this up unless you're very quick with your fingers, but in in, uh, uh, Exodus 3.13, Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your ancestors has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. And the word there that's being used is the word Yahweh. Sometimes, uh, well, for many centuries in England, we we use the term Jehovah to translate that Hebrew word that Hebrew expression, although the Hebrew doesn't have a J in it. But I want us to know this. Notice this. God said to Moses, verse 15, Say this to the people of Israel, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of your ancestors, a, a God who works in history, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and this I am to be remembered throughout all, all, all generations. And this name Yahweh means I am who I am and I will be who I will be. It refers to God's eternity. But most importantly, it refers to the fact that this God from eternity, that Isaac Newton believed in, was also a God who entered into history and entered into covenant, entered into a personal relationship with the people of Israel. And God's name, when when we... Uh, uh, See the word Lord in capital letters in, in, uh, in the Old Testament? That's a reference to this sacred name. Now this name, for a believer, should convey the presence of this great and wonderful God. That's why often um, you know, uh, the word, the name, is used almost for the presence of God. Now, to use a rather trivial example, supposing I think back to a friend I knew at university, and I'll call him Doug. And suppose I met with other geriatric 70-year-olds who are still alive. And I say, Oh, yeah, I remember Doug, and everybody smiles, you know. Oh, Doug, you know. The name Doug conveys the humor, the warmth, the laughter associated with good old Doug. And the thing is this: the name of God for believers, Yahweh. I am who I am. The Lord is should convey to us the magnificence, the eternity, the omnipotence, the greatness, the power, and the fact this wonderful God has come down into history to enter into relationships with people. In particular in the Old Testament, it was with the people of God, the Jewish people, as a corporate nation. But I want us to notice this, that when Jesus talks in the Sermon on the Mount... He's not just referring to the idea of a creator. He's not just referring even to, to the covenant Lord. He actually he is referring to the covenant Lord, but he then focuses in on specific, unique, we might even say to his day, characteristics of this God. Because this covenant God who made a covenant with Israel, it, with Jesus becomes, Jesus explains, reveals the fact that this covenant God is the father of all who have been saved, all who who believe in Jesus Christ, all who have had their sins forgiven, all who are the children of God. In John 1 verse 12 it it says, as many as received Jesus, to them he gave the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe in his name, which are born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And I want to notice it's Actually, you know, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And I want us to notice this. No one can come into that fatherly relationship with God except through Jesus. This is why this wonderful um, way in which the Trinity works, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit works in our salvation. It is only through Jesus that we come into this into this wonderful fatherly relationship with the creator of the universe, with the one who dealt with Israel in a covenant relationship, but now deals with us personally, individually, in a, in a special covenant re- relationship. And so, of course, the first thing we have to do, what says in, in, in John, uh, John 1, verse 12, is we need to receive Jesus Christ. We welcome Jesus as our Savior to the whole of our life. He is the, he is the one that that forgives our sins, but also is uh, the one who is instrumental with the Holy Spirit in cleaning up our life. Now, I never saw this program, although I've read about it, um, called Filthy House SOS. I wonder if anybody saw that when it was on. Filthy House SOS. And basically, a team used to go into houses which were disgustingly filthy. Um, Often the people that I I think that they would have dealt with would have been people that basically had, had... big problems in life, and you know, both emotionally and other things that, that meant that they didn't see the clutter, they didn't see the filth, they didn't see the mess the house was in. But these guys would go in, I think they had a few days, four days to go in and completely transform their house. Now, when we receive Jesus Christ, we not only receive him to forgive our sins and wash our sins away, um, our past sins, but also to completely change our inner motivations bit by bit, step by step, to clean our house. And in fact, you can't become a Christian unless you receive him as Lord. You receive him as Savior, but you receive him as Lord to be in control of your life, and you believe in him. I mean, that's what John says. Uh, Someone here or online may themselves say, well, I've I've never really known that personal sense of that God is my Father, or that... Jesus is my Savior. Well, how do you become a child of God? Well, it tells us in John 1:12. Re- those who receive Him, who believe in His name, you trust Him. Now you trust Him even in unlikely circumstances. You may say, I've got all these problems. You might say, Oh, if I become a Christian, my family may even persecute me. I may have doubts, I may have fears, I may have all kinds of relationship problems, all these things sit down on my head. Well I don't know if you remember the story of of, of Peter who was uh, who was in the in the boat with Jesus and other disciples during a great storm and then he saw Jesus walking on the water and Jesus told him come towards me now Peter had to get out of the boat he had to step you know what I mean to step out of a boat uh, in a raging storm uh, it was really an act of of suicide you know uh, if he'd actually, if he hadn't have trusted Jesus. But he trusted Jesus. He kept his eyes on Jesus. And he kept walking in the middle of this storm. And he only started to sink when he kind of, he looked down and he, and he, and, 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 he, and then suddenly his faith was wavering. Now, if you want to become, a, to come to, to Christ, you need to step forward to him. He calls to you, come to me. All you who labor and heavy laden, I will give you rest. Come to him this morning, wherever you are, and trust him. Trust him that he died on the cross to forgive your sins. He, he rose from the dead in order to give you the power of the Holy Spirit to live a new kind of life. And uh, getting back to our, our, our sermon theme, he came into our lives to introduce us into a new family, the family of God that we would know God as our Father in an intimate relationship, an intimate relationship. I, would call, it, I call it an intimate family relationship. Now, um, I can remember many years ago when I was a student um, reading the works of uh, a very good uh, Catholic uh, biblical critic and analyst called Joachim Jeremias, and he, he put forward this thing that came to dominate, actually, uh, the thought about God the Father – Uh, For a few years, which was, he said that when Jesus called Abba Father, which he did um, uh, actually on on, on the night before he was uh, crucified, um, the word Abba, Jeremiah said, betokened a a, a small child calling out to daddy and in fact i've followed that through for years and uh, that's you know that's ultimately what abba meant it was just a just a a baby term or an infant term and as jeremiah said this in, um, in the lord's prayer jesus authorizes his disciples to repeat the word abba after him now of course the lord's prayer is in greek and it doesn't in the text use the word Abba, it uses the Greek word for father, but we know what he means. He's saying that behind the Greek translation is that original relationship, Abba. And he gives them a share in his sonship and empowers them, his disciples, to speak with their heavenly father in just such a familiar, trusting way as a child would with his father. And he, he actually specifically said that this name Abba was an f- intimate family name between a, a very small child or a child and its and its father. And now, the thing is this: things have come on since then, and, and people have have said yes, this is true. A child does call his uh, father Abbe, Abba, and it's an intimate family name. But actually, when tracing through modern Arabic and Hebrew, and the way above all that Jesus used the word, it is clear that it is more than just a uh, the, uh, a name given to an intimate family relationship between a child and and its father yes the child is totally dependent on on their father and 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 say daddy please help yes that's all true and all that aspect is true about our relationship with the lord but also we see that the word is used by adults of their fathers and i mean the best example is jesus himself in Mark 14:36, in which he was in a situation of, of what we can only call adult struggle. It, he was in the middle of a, a, a terrible situation, facing up to terrible suffering, and in Mark 14:36, he was saying, "Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will." Now. This and, uh, and uh, the verses where Paul talks about us being adopted as as uh, son, the sons of God and we cry Abba and we call out Abba. Well, I pointed out in the Ephesians uh, um, sermons that we've been doing that, of course, adoption of, of, of small kids was relatively rare in the Roman Empire. What was very common was adults being adopted into, into families. And uh, so... When Paul is talking about someone crying, Abba, Father, in the, in the context of adoption, he's also thinking not just of children, but also of adults themselves. Now, look, why is this important? Well, because the word Abba, our, and, and particularly the words Jesus has used for our heavenly Abba, betokens not just intimacy, but also respect and obedience. And indeed, in modern Hebrew, I read an article on this uh, which, which pointed out that in modern Hebrew, a, uh, uh, an Israeli child, a Jewish child today, will, will call, use the word Abba in the context of obeying their, their father, whom they love and their, their father loves them. It isn't just simply a, 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 a sign of, of dependence. But I want to point out this. This intimate relationship is a loving relationship. It's personal. If you've believed in Jesus Christ, you have another father, apart from the biological one uh, that you've had and I've had. You have a heavenly father who has every interest in you as much as he does as all of the other millions of Christians in the world and has has an intimate concern of every detail of your life. Beyond this visible universe, this vast visible universe there is a much greater... I mean, the word that is used is transcendent. There's a much greater reality than just this physical universe, which this greater reality has made. God, who has created the universe and and, uh, the Trinity, vast, vast, loving, holy, just God, pouring forth love, infinite, omnipotent love into this world, and he pours it into his family. <laughs> These vast resources of God. He, he's pouring into your life. Now, you may it well. I'm, I'm not a millionaire. I'm not this. I'm not the other. Well, if we think like that, we don't really understand what Jesus expected, uh, what blessings Jesus expected to come in our lives as children of our Heavenly Father. And perhaps we'll, we'll go into those in a minute. Um But let me just note the way that um, Jesus uses uses this term of the Father in heaven. Now, this is where the respect comes in. In the Sermon on the Mount, which I've just read, he says, when you pray, pray like this. First thing is, Father, you love us. Father, you're linked to us. How failures we are, we've wandered and we've come back. Father. But you're, you're our father. You're our daddy in heaven. You are awesome. You sit on a throne. And that is, a, of course, a picture. There is no, uh, no uh, human throne in heaven, at least. No material throne from this universe in heaven. But God sits on the throne of the universe in control of everything in the whole of space and time. And he is there as our father. But of his justice his righteousness, his purity, his greatness, his omnipotence, his all-powerful, all-knowing person is something that should cause respect. You know, we, we use that expression, familiarity breeds contempt. And many of us, and I include myself as Christians, it's so easy because we're familiar with God, the Lord, that we then lose the respect. What does Jesus say in, this, in, in the Lord's prayer? Our Father in heaven, hallowed, sacred, sanctified is your name. Even the name, any of the names of God in the Old Testament, and this name, the Heavenly Father, is so precious, holy, wonderful. We treat it with the utmost, the utmost respect and dignity. Hallowed be your name. Now, uh, I want us to see how Jesus defined this Father in Heaven who, who we respect he talks about this wonderful love, firstly, in terms of the Father in heaven knows our needs. I um, read it earlier, Matthew 6, verse 8. Don't be like the pagans, all the time mounting up all kinds of, uh, all kinds of prayers, all kinds of, all, all kinds of um, empty phrases. Verse 7, when you pray, don't heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Don't be like them. For your father knows what you need before you ask him. God knows our needs. And God not only knows our needs, he he, uh, answers them with wonderful gifts. Do you remember where Jesus said that, you know, uh, you being evil, self-centered, can give good gifts to your children. How much more will your father give good gifts to those who ask him? How much more? Now, these gifts that God gives to us, of course, are not, necessarily, are not necessarily the gifts the world would like. I don't want to be a millionaire. I want to have a, uh, you know, a, a life without suffering. I want to have this. I want to have that. No, but these are the most wonderful gifts that we can possibly have. If I could just, again, take a banal, a banal um, example. Most good parents in a civilized, educated country want their children to get a good education. And uh, sometimes in some countries people have to pay for their education. And uh, have to. I'm not just talking about public schools where rich people, but I mean even some countries poor people have to pay uh, for their children's education. But the good father, the good mother, the good parents will will give what... You know, the, the child may want loads and loads of toys or he might like to, to go to Disneyland every weekend, but the parents scrimp and save in order to... Provide them with an education. Now, God has infinite resources. But he is going to make sure that you have what you need in life to be perfected and complete as a person. And to have true happiness. Because that, again, is what the Sermon on the Mount is about, isn't it? Jesus starts off the Sermon on the Mount by talking about the blessedness of knowing God. The blessedness of, of hungering and thirsting for righteousness. The blessedness of mourning over sin, of being gentle. Blessed are the pure in heart and blessed are the peacemakers. True happiness is found in being filled with love for God and love for everybody. And that's, those are some of the blessings that, that, that the Father in heaven will give us. Now, I also want to note this, that Jesus gives uh, a picture of uh, the loving Heavenly Father Um, in Luke chapter 15 the parable of the prodigal son now in the parable of the lost son or the prodigal son a son who is ungrateful incredibly disrespectful totally self-centred takes early retirement from life by asking his father uh, to to give him his inheritance even before he's he's, he's barely out of of high school we might say we don't know exactly how young he was was he 19 or 20 or even younger who knows and he took all that money and then he squandered it in a matter of months. In immoral living, drunkenness, and so on and so forth. Now, the average person, the average religious person listening to Jesus telling that story, think, hmm, I wonder how that boy is going to be punished. Well, he was punished, of course, by his own misery. And when he finally decides to come back to his father... Most people are thinking, well, he's coming back, but no doubt that the father's going to make him a servant. you know, Because that's all, that's all the prodigal son says, when he's thinking about, I'm going to go home to my father, and I, I'm going to ask him to make, make me one of his servants. But what, what, do, we, what do we read? It, it tells us, Jesus tells us, this is what the heavenly father is like. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him, felt compassion, and ran and embraced him. And kissed him. The father, this heavenly father, sees sinful people. We make a mess out of our life. We're in the pit. We're in a, pig, a, a, a pigsty. We've made a whole, a whole mess of our lives. And sometimes as Christians we've, we, we can do that. But when we return, far from holding against us and saying, no, no, I'm not having nothing to do with him. I'm not having nothing to do with her. God runs towards us. Embraces us and gives us the kiss of greeting and welcome because I'm sure it also included the kiss of affection. But in Mediterranean countries, a kiss—people kiss all of the time. People on the cheek as a sign of a sign of welcome, a sign of greeting, a sign of sign of respect. And how wonderful that was for that son in that story. But how wonderful it is to know we have a heavenly Father who has exactly the same approach to us sinful people as uh, that in that particular story our father in heaven has wonderful love now this this intimate relationship that we have with the Lord our father in heaven we're introduced to through, our, through the Lord Jesus Christ as I said no man comes to the father but through me through his work of, uh, through Christ's work on the cross of, of, of salvation uh, he, he made it possible for us to enter into this relationship through the Holy Spirit's wonderful work, revealing Christ, revealing the Father to us, we then uh, embrace the Father and we come uh, into this relationship with him. But I, 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 want, I want us to notice that this intimate relationship is, is, is meant to carry on, not just when we become Christians. And it should carry on because, of course, God is is so wonderful to us that we should respond to his wonderful Provision to our lives by thankfulness. Look at the birds of the air that they don't sow nor reap nor gather into barns, the Lord said. And your, your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? How much more will God provide for his children than just for the animal world, which he does provide wonderfully for, but for you, an individual? Don't be anxious. What shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? The Gentiles seek after all of these things. And your Father in heaven knows that you need them all. And Jesus here doesn't even say, therefore pray to your Father and he will give you a house, a wage, uh, a a living, uh, and so on. Jesus just says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. You'll be looked after by your heavenly Father. And, of course, this God who's in this intimate relationship with us knows us intimately. And this, look, this can be embarrassing and humiliating and should be when we think about the ways in which we, in secret or perhaps in our motivation, on outwardly we appear to be one kind of person but inwardly are another. It can be mortifying to realize that God sees those secrets of our hearts. He sees that hypocrisy. That offers uh, help to people, but really is doing it to glorify ourselves, He sees us praying, but we 're not really praying that much you know we 're using words, but it's, our hearts aren 't in it. He sees all of the ways in which in which we we fail that that is, is 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 a hard experience, but the Lord wants us to examine ourselves to see the ways in which we are insincere, to see the ways in which we uh, in which we are, are not really serving him. But I want us to notice this intimate relationship that the Lord has with us is one in which he rewards what he sees done in secret. Now, there is a TV program that I actually um, ha- have seen a few times over the years called Undercover Boss. Uh, and I think they've even started it in England. Uh, and, and the it's a, it's a, a basic thing where um, a owner of a large company, disguises himself, and of course he's, he's rigged up, there's secret cameras around and all this kind of stuff, what's going on. Uh, he disguises himself as an ordinary, uh, in fact often a new worker in the factory that doesn't know anything. And he makes a web of relationships with different people who are helping him to, you know, to do the job. And in being an undercover boss, he finds out, all of the ways in which such and such a woman is so caring and helpful. All of her difficulties. Yeah, he finds out about her sick child and how in America it's very difficult paying doctor's bills. And how what a struggle it is in her life. And yet how she's such a wonderful worker in, 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 his, in his thing. And the denouement to it is, uh, is uh, uh, it's, a, it's a true story. It's a, when I say the true story, it's um, you know, reality TV. It's actually as it happens. Then after he's been there a few weeks, he suddenly discloses that he's the boss of the company. And he gives her a rise in her wages and he sends her on holiday with her children and so on. He rewards, he doesn't just punish because he's met someone who's failed, but he rewards those who've been faithfully serving their company and therefore him. Now, this is what the Bible says about us. He rewards us When we pray, go somewhere in secret, and the Father who's in secret will reward you for all of our, all of our service for him. And what is those rewards? Well, there, there are, of course, rewards in, in the next life, but there are rewards in this life which I've already mentioned. There are more resources of the Holy Spirit and God's joy and peace and happiness in your life as, uh, as he sees your secret spiritual life. And uh, that's wonderful too. Um, so this should cause us, of course, to, to respect him. It should cause us to understand that this, this, this wonderful God who's the creator of, every, of, of all things sees down to every detail of our life and therefore we should, we should um, as Peter says in the verses I'm going to read in a second, we should conduct ourselves with reverence and fear. Peter says in 1 Peter 1.14, as obedient children, as obedient children, not just respectful, but obedient children, don't be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he has called you as holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially, according to each one's deed, conduct yourself with fear, with respect. Throughout the time of your exile, Time or on earth, knowing you are ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, now I want us to get back here to the to the lord 's prayer, and I want us to notice that jesus uh, Jesus after uh, talking about the respect that we have for God, he goes on to say, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, and we see this is the prayer of a servant. Not Lord let me uh, me have success in this venture. Let me achieve. Let me do this. No. Our first concern is his kingdom. Let your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord let your will be done in my life. Not just a bit of it Lord but all of it. That is the obedient child, give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts, and of course, those, those things are our requests to the Father, but then, as we have forgiven our debtors, Jesus in the sermon on I might have been talking about the fact that, that God forgives and he calls us to forgive the, those who are our enemies. He gives to those who are his enemies. He gives to the righteous and the unrighteous. He gives to the good and the bad, those who are rebels, those who are disobedient. And he forgives us who uh, do not deserve forgiveness at all. And because he's forgiven us, we should ourselves model our lives on him who forgives the sinner. Uh, In the sermon on Mount, Jesus says, in "A verse I didn't, I didn't actually quote during the, uh, during the readings. Be perfect, as your Father, or as your heavenly Father, is perfect." And here we have the call to every Christian, every man and woman, every child who has received and knows the heavenly Father, knows Jesus as their Savior, and knows the heavenly Father uh, who who sent Him. It's a call to us to be conformed. Uh, to God's image. And that means being conformed to the image of Christ, who is the image of the invisible God. To be imitate Christ, to be like him in all that we do, all that we say. What a challenge it is to me, even in this past week, when I think about some of my attitudes, some of the words I've said. This is calling us uh, to be as we should be. And our motivation, of course, is um, thanksgiving, Our motivation for obedience is thanksgiving. Matthew 5, 16, I read this earlier, Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Let's show gratefulness to God by doing good things to people, by being good people, by being generous and kind and helping those who are in need, helping, helping those who are in trouble. Spending time with the lonely looking after uh, uh, people when we can. Let your light shine before men in such a way they may see your good works and glorify your Father that that is in heaven. And and note that the uh, the, uh, Sermon on the Mount finishes with, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And these are both uh, part of the parcel of the struggle uh, in, uh, of the Christian with evil. Firstly, evil within and evil without. If we wish uh, uh, to live for the Lord in this life, we, we're not just living in a monastery uh, somehow uh, you know, removed from the world, we're in the world. And there's temptations to sin in the world. And there's uh, the, po- the possibility that devil himself may attack us in different ways, cause problems in our life, use other people to... to, um, uh, to um, cause problems and sufferings to us. And Jesus says part of that obedience that he's referring to as, as believers is that we actually pray, Lord, please help me with this particular sin in my life. Lead me not into that temptation. And there are lots of other things in the New Testament that will tell us how to combat sin. And of course, our prayer and dependence upon him in the great battle against the spiritual forces of evil. So, I summarize again uh, what I've said. That basically, Jesus is talking about a relationship with our Heavenly Father. The, this wonderful new relationship that starts when we become Christians with a new Father. And this relationship is an intimate one, it's a one on one one, it's a personal one, it's one where He knows everything about us. But it's not just intimacy where we can, as I said, fall into contempt. Familiarity breeding contempt. But it's intimacy which also involves respect and awe and and if you like, the old fashioned word that is used by Peter is, conduct yourself with fear during your time of exile upon earth. Be aware of the greatness and majesty of, of this one who is deigned to become your heavenly dad. And then Go on to obey Him. May the Lord help me <laughs> and all of us uh, listening to this message of Jesus um, to live like that. And uh, I'd like us to uh, finish by singing 4 to 6. How deep the Father's love for us, which reminds us of uh, the Father's love in sending His only Son, and also, of course, of the wonderful, and marvellous um, fact of Calvary, and of the cross where Jesus died for us. So 426.